Welcome to Friends and Fiction, four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories. Novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry are four longtime friends with more than 70 published books between them. Together, they host Friends and Fiction with author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday night and we are all here together and we are live and it is time. Well, we're together in different places, but by some miracle though, we all made it. I know we all came in on two wheels and it is time for friends in fiction. And we are live, like I said, and so thrilled to be here with all of you. I am Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey. I'm Kristen Harmel. And I'm Mary Kay Andrews. And this is friends in fiction. Four New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support indie bookstores, authors, and librarians, and you, readers. Tonight, we are welcoming Tess Gerritsen. We are so excited. And she is the author of a brand new book just out called The Spy Coast. But first, just a quick reminder to check out all the fun things going on in our Friends in Fiction community at friendsinfiction.com. There you'll find links to our bookshop.org page where our books and books from all of us and our guests are available at a discount to the Friends in Fiction official book club. Wait, I should have had a comma there. Okay, so consider consider that I put a comma in there. And, and Friends in Fiction official book club with Brenda and Lisa and to our official email newsletter sign up. So do all those things. Exactly. So you will also find a link to our Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast, a new episode of which drops each Friday. So on last Friday's episode, Ron and Patty talked to Karen Kingsbury about Just Once. And coming this Friday, you will hear the episode where Christy and Ron talked with number one New York Times bestselling author Allie Hazelwood about her YA debut, debut, Check and Mate. I'm excited to hear that podcast. So you can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find links and more information on our website at friendsandfiction.com. Yeah, you're definitely going to want to check out that episode because I... Um... There was sort of an embarrassing moment where I talked about something that I had read on the internet about her book, and it was like totally wrong. She was like, (gasps) "Like that is completely not right." I mean, she was very nice about it, but I was like, "Cool, cool." Nothing like reading like this was inspired by this. She's like, "I don't even know who that is." I was like, "Cool." That's Oops. great. It was like a whole article. It's just totally made up. I was like, great, great. So oh check that out. Gosh. She stumbles all over herself with Allie Hazelwood. Fantastic. Oh, we believe the internet, don't we? Don't we believe the internet? Okay. <laughs> over on the book club's Facebook page, the group is reading Bright Lights Big Christmas. I know that book. author. I know her. I know her. You do in real life? In real life. Her hair looks good tonight, too. Have you seen sure it? sure does. Yeah. yeah. I was looking pretty draggy-ass last night, so I got a, a blowout <laughs> when I got to Palm Springs today. Oh, 
Well, it's the latest New York Times bestseller from our very own Mary Kay Andrews. You can join them for that live online discussion on Monday, November 20th, and don't miss their Friendsgiving celebration tomorrow evening, Thursday, November 16th. Can you believe we are in the holidays already? Yeah. Oh my gosh, this has been quite a year. It has been. Stop. I asked my boys for some Christmas suggestions and they were lagging and I counted. I said, it's in five weeks. Five <laughs> weeks. That's a little panicky. Yeah. Right? All right. We have so many fun things going on. Check them all out on the website. But now, without further ado, let's welcome Tess Gerritsen. Yeah. Tess is an internationally best-selling author who took a, what I would call an unusual route to a writing career. A graduate of Stanford University, Tess went on to medical school at the University of Cal California, San Francisco, where she was awarded her MD. While on maternity leave from her work as a physician, she began to write fiction. And in 1987, her first novel, Call After Midnight, was published. It would be just the first of 31 suspense novels that she has written over a 36-year writing career. She also wrote a screenplay, Adrift, which aired as a 1993 CBS movie of the week starring Kate Jackson. Her novels have hit bestseller lists ever since, and her books have been translated into 40 languages with more than 40 million copies sold around the world. With numerous prizes, Publishers Weekly has dubbed her the medical suspense queen. Her series of novels featuring homicide detective Jane Rizzoli and medical examiner Maura Isles inspired the hit TNT series Rizzoli and Isles, starring Angie Harmon and Sasha Alexander. My sound. Okay, I found this on the web for us of novels. and medical examiner Maura Isles inspired to the TNT series Rizzoli and Isles, starring Angie Harmon and Sasha Alexander. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. That sounds like it's either Siri or Alexa helping you out there. Siri, <laughs> Siri, Siri thought I was asking about. Can you guys? This is the first time in 193 episodes that that has ever happened. Oh yeah. my god! I'm gonna start over. For a series of novels featuring homicide detective Jane Rizzoli and medical examiner Maura Isles inspired the hit TNT television series Rizzoli and Isles starring Angie Harmon and Sasha Alexander. And because that isn't enough, Tess is also a filmmaker. She currently lives in Maine. Her new novel, The Spy Coast, was just released earlier this month, and we cannot wait to talk to her about it. And hopefully Siri won't interrupt again. <laughs> and Sean, can you please bring Tess on? Hi, Tess. Hello. Hello from Orange County Libraries. Hi. Oh, so happy you're here. All right. We are going to dive right in, my friend. So the Spy Coast is about a woman we truly come to love named Maggie Bird. She is an ex-spy who has finally found some peace or so she thinks, in a small main town called Purity. As the starred review set states, Maggie Bird has lived many lives and many lies all across the globe. Finally, she gets to hunker down in the town of Purity with nothing but her chickens and her martini club friends to keep her company. But her past is about to come back to haunt her when someone delivers a dead body to her front door 
as one does, as dead bodies <laughs> might do. Now the past has come back to find her, a past she does not want to revisit, but now must. So Tess, if this is what the Spy Coast is about, can you tell us what the book is really about? It's really about retirement and what happens <laughs> afterwards. You know, uh, as I get older, um, I, I start to look at my contemporaries and think, you know, it's, I really wonder what they used to do when they were younger. And I'm also aware of the fact that as we get older, we start to feel it sort of disappear from, from the world. People don't pay attention to us anymore. They don't ask us about our careers or, I mean, they almost lose interest in us. So um, I happen to live in a small town that has a lot of retired spies. And I always wonder about their lives. I always think about the fact that I'm rubbing shoulders with them in the post office. And yeah, they look like the little old lady down the street, but who knew what she did when she was in her 30s, you know? But maybe she was defying death in some foreign country. So that, that was really what it's all about. It's about how retirees are not, we're not done yet. Okay, we have, we have other adventures ahead of us, and we also had a lot of adventures behind us. I love True. that. That's incredible. I mean, I love that. Okay, so indulge me while I read a quote from your novel, please. So Maggie says, that's what we must learn to deal with, our place in a world that sees us as used up and irrelevant. This new generation only looks to the future with little regard for the past and what it could teach them, what we can teach them. So as you mentioned, you were just talking about, it was like you knew this was my question. <laughs> Thank you for that lovely segue. Um, but this quote seems to tie into the inspiration for this novel, which is you know something that you write about in your author's note and you just mentioned about your small town in Maine. So can you talk to us, if you will, about your inspiration for this novel and um, you know what was kind of that? moment where you knew this is what you're going to write about. Yeah, well, I've known about this for about three decades now. Uh, when I first moved to Maine, it was uh, 33 years ago. And I live, I'm moving on to a little town, about 5,000 people right on the coast. Yeah. My husband is a doctor and he opened up a new medical practice. And part of become, being a doctor is you ask about a patient's history, their occupational histories. So he would ask his new patients, and they were all kind of older people, what did you used to do? Um, for a job. And he got this answer. I used to work for the government. And he'd say, what did you do for the government? And they would always say, I can't talk about it. <laughs> so after this happened a couple of times, we wondered, who are these people? What did they do? Um, and it was a real estate agent who told us they're all retired CIA. She knew. A lot of people in town knew. It was like one of the worst kept secrets in Maine that we had a lot of CIA retirees. Um, and I found out later that I had on my very short street that I was living on then, two spies, one on either side. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, awesome. Isn't that something? And then my son's good friend, I was talking to the son's father trying to arrange a pickup or something for the kids. And something he said, I don't remember what it was, made me think, oh, he's, he, this is an unusual answer. And I laughed and said, you must be with the CIA. And there was a long silence. Oh. And then he said, who have you been talking to? <laughs> That's when I realized I probably shouldn't have said that. I found out later that they, he and his wife were married spies uh, during the Vietnam era. So um, here, here I am. And as I said, these people are now, you know, they're all gray haired. Some of them, a lot of them have died off. This was back 30 years ago. Um, and I thought, well, what do retired spies do? Here, you know, you're, you're in a little town, a very safe and innocent town. Do you have cocktail parties? 
Do you have book groups <laughs> like everybody else? Um, do you have friends you can actually talk to about your job? And then I also thought about what is it like to live a life in which a lot of the time you can't tell the truth? What does it do to your psyche? And can you talk to your spouse? So that's, that's how the whole idea came about is just retired spies. And I imagined one woman, actually it was her voice that came to me. Um, and it was Maggie saying, I'm not the woman I used to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I could hear the grief. I could hear that she was very sad. And I wanted to know what did she used to be? And that, that started the book. Oh, I, love mm, I love that. So how did your town react to knowing that they were the inspiration for this series? Um, a lot of giggles. <laughs> you know, when, when I talk about it at libraries, at library talks in my town, there's like nodding heads everywhere. Oh, yeah, we knew that. And then someone, they would come up and tell me little stories. Like uh-huh. a man said, oh, there was a guy who was a CIA agent and then he got Alzheimer's and he won't stop talking about it. <gasps> oh, <laughs> no. And then, of course, you know, Mainers, people in Maine were little, we're, we're very proud of our state. And I heard somebody say, so the really bad spies retired to Bethesda, the middle <laughs> retired to Florida, and the cream of the crop came to Maine. So- oh, that's hysterical. There's like an echelon of CIA retirees. That's amazing. But, you know, what I was most interested in also is why did they move there? What, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful place, but it's very cold in the winter. What drew them there? Um, and I've heard a number of explanations from gossipers around town. The real estate agent claimed, and I don't know if it's true, that they have a retirement magazine that mentioned our town, and I don't know if that's true. Um, <laughs> I've heard that um, it, some people went there because they felt it was a safe place far from any <laughs> nuclear targets. Oh. Um, Maine was also a location for safe houses. When they wanted to hide people away, they just send them up north. And oh. and Yankees, you know, um, were pretty good at minding their own business. I think that yeah. they felt that they could hide out there and nobody would really bother them. Mm-hmm. We are not good at mm-hmm. mine. Not in the South. Yeah, we would just yeah. we would be just all in your business. Knocking on the door. Yeah. I have to say this before we move on, but we have something like we have a neighbor like beside us that has like a similar background to this. And every now and then I'm like, are they like, are they listening? Like, can they hear what we're saying? Like, do we know like th- this is I'm concerned. <laughs> Tess, our work as authors is so tied to our lives. So sometimes in obvious ways, like your small town in Maine, and sometimes in more subtle ways. So I want to talk about your life as an author from physician, which I think, you know, we, we've done, what did we say? 193 episodes now. I believe that you're the first physician trained um, author we've had on the show that I can think of. But I mean, that's an unusual career path to novelist. So I've read, and also we said in the introduction, that it all began when you were pregnant. Can you take it from there? How did you make that leap from being a physician to being a novelist? Well, I actually wanted to be a writer when I was seven years old. And um, I told my dad, and my dad being a very conservative father said, that's no way to make a living. Yeah. So um, I, I ended up going to medical school because, I mean, I like science and I thought I thought medicine would, would be a good fit. But, you know, that, that writing bug and you are all writers, you know what it is. You can't get yeah. rid of it. You just it's just a part of your personality. Yeah. And even when I was working as an intern 80 hours a week and yeah. I would be on call, I would write a page in the, in the yeah. call room in the hospital. So I got my opportunity when I had when I went on maternity leave. And I was really lucky. I have two sons who like to sleep a lot. Oh, lucky you. Oh, it, was really, 
And there they'd be taking their two and three hour naps and that's your chance to write a couple pages. Wow. So that's when I really got back into it. And then after I sold my first book, I thought, okay, I think I might be able to make it. Um, and then when I moved to Maine, I never, I never got my Maine medical license. I thought this is, this is making, um, you know, really cutting ties with, with my, yeah. my medical background. Well, wow. that's fantastic, though. I mean, but what a great background in terms of informing what you write about. And, you know, I, I know there has been a lot of content that relates to that in, in your books, which is fantastic. So which leads me actually to talking about your series of Rizzoli and Isles, which I always loved on, on TV. And I love the books. It's iconic. So it's a TV series as well as an immensely successful novel series. And of course, it was also mentioned recently in Only Murders in the Building, which is very cool. I mean, you it's did you know that? Culture. No, I didn't. I haven't read the. I haven't watched the second season of that yet. Really? That's cool. Third season now, Matt Taz. Third season. Well, season, and Paul Rudd is on it. So that's oh, well, you know, you know, I'm afraid I'm, I'm embarrassed to mention my Hulu account expired, <laughs> and I can't figure out how to get back onto it. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to to hear them mention so. Rizzoli and Isles, you're right? Mention, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you talk to us a little bit about how the success of that series changed your life, and also how it changed your work? Well, I don't, I don't know if it changed my life so much because, you know, as you're, as a writer, it doesn't matter whether your book does well or badly, you still want to keep on writing. Yeah, you still want to keep writing. So true. I think what it did do though, was it, it's in a bad way. It, it forced me more of those books when I had other books that I wanted to write. Oh, and that is okay. outside of a series, right? You get stuck in this, um, in this box and nobody wants you to ever do anything out of the box. Yeah. So that was, that was the downside is I got, I got stuck doing Jane or Jane stories. And after all, I just needed to break out of that. Um, on the good side though, um, you know, it's, it's really discouraging to be a writer and people will say, well, what I have read anything that you wrote and uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to say, but then I'll ask, do you watch television? Then, <laughs> you know, the spark of recognition. Oh, your books are, were the basis for that TV show. So yeah. it, it emphasized to me how, how much bigger the reach is of television yes. than our novels. It's yeah. a really good yeah. point. Exactly. So uh, Spy Coast takes us from Malta to Bangkok to Milan to Maine, and each setting feels so unique and fully immersive. Um, how I, as soon as, she, you know, when she meets her, her love interest, she is in, um, she, she's in Bangkok, right? She's in Bangkok. And how did you do the research to take us so deeply into everything from the food to the ambiance, to the aromas, to the waterways? When she's, you know, when she's going to that um, meeting on the, on the, what are they on called? The waterway, on that canal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was right there with her. Oh, I know. <laughs> in the dark and I can, you know, and I see the light up there. So how did you do that research? Have you been to those places? I have been to all those places, but you know, I did not do them as research. I, I am, I, I call myself the lifelong tourist. <laughs> I love to see interesting places. So I, uh, Bangkok, um, Istanbul, I've been to at least half a dozen times. Um, and uh, Milan, London, and I have never, I'm not sure I've ever actually used any of those in books before. But here I am writing about an international spy. And so I just, I just drew on my memories of places I'd been and loved. And right. when I when I think about a place, what comes back to me very often is uh, number one, the food. Oh, <laughs> I never yeah. 
the smells. And uh, if you read the book, you'll find out there's a lot of food in this book because that's, you know, that's what I love. Ooh, yeah, yeah. I, I, could, I couldn't pronounce anything they were eating in Bangkok. <laughs> but it was amazing. Sounded amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love, and I also love the insights into being a spy, which I guess if you had been a spy, you wouldn't tell us that you'd been a spy. So <laughs> I don't know. But there's a line from Maggie, one that is obviously about being a spy, but it echoes for all of us. The truth is far more complicated, but when you live in a world of mirrors, the truth is always distorted. Too often is what we choose to see while ignoring all the inconvenient bits, the nagging details. We crave clarity and we lie to ourselves. So um, I, do, is it possible to interview spies or you just make all this stuff up? Well, you know what I did? Because it is hard to interview them. Um, I, I, I know they're children. <laughs> so I, get, I get secondhand stuff sometimes. The, the way I go about this, you know, I was an anthropology major in college, so I'm very aware of different cultures. And I find that the best way to delve into a culture is to read memoirs, is to oh, read people. Right, yeah. You know, yeah. What, what was it like for them growing up? What, what drew yeah. them into this? And there are, there are a number of, of good memoirs uh, written by retired spies. Uh, not all of them have been vetted, by the way, by the CIA, the way they're supposed to be. You're right. You're right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, they, and they tell you what the stresses are. I find yeah. out how tough it is to be married. And there's a high divorce rate. Um, and I think it all has to do with trust. I mean, how much, how far do you trust somebody? So yeah. that's, that's, that, that's my go-to thing, no matter what I'm, um, I am. Researching, I think when I did um, Gravity, which was about the space program, I did a lot of astronaut memoirs uh, mm. just to get the personality. You know, there's a personality type that is attracted yeah. to any particular profession. Did you have a favorite spy memoir that you can recommend? Um, you know, the names just all went out. My head. I know. As soon as somebody <laughs> asks that, you can forget. There, there is, there is one. One little fun one, it's called, and I can remember this one because it's easy, CIA 101, I think it's what it is. Oh. And it's a, it's, he's, um, he actually was a teacher uh, at Langley, and he just writes about, you know, some of the inside details, some, a little bit of tradecraft, but also it made me aware that to them it is just a job. And a lot of them are just waiting until they get their pension. And you realize that, yeah, they're like us in, in a lot of ways. They're, they're having divorces. They're having marital problems. They, they're worried about their, their retirement. Um, and yeah. they hate the paperwork, but they have to do it. Yeah. Interesting. So Tess, you express your creativity in so many ways. You're a filmmaker. You and your son, Josh, have made two feature-length films. Can you tell us about Magnificent Beast and Island Zero and how they are part of this greater ability of yours to tell stories from documentary to novel to film? Well, um, Island Zero was just a straight out horror film. It was, it was something that we did for fun. And um, I, I think it had to do with our, our being in Maine and, and the winter and the cold and the isolation of these little islands that are off the coast. So we said we had a, it's, it was pretty much a sea creature monster uh, movie that was Island Zero. Um, Magnificent Beast, now that was a lot of fun and that harkens back to my past as an anthropology major. Um, I've always been interested in food, um, the anthropology of food, and also why there are food taboos in the world. And I was in Istanbul and wanted bacon one day, couldn't get it because it's a Muslim country. And I thought, why would anybody choose not to eat this delicious, nutritious <laughs> food? 
<laughs> that led to uh, my son and I just, you know, going around the world, talking to anthropologists, to, you know, all kinds of pig experts about what is it about the pig that is so special? Why is it forbidden food? Um, and we ended up going back, you know, to people who were Egyptologists because this goes back thousands of years uh, to find out if there's an answer for why the pig was chosen as the taboo food. Wow. Fascinating. Do you still eat bacon? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> it's terrible because I've met a lot of wonderful little pigs. Uh, oh. We did some interviews with uh, pig pet pig owners. And who, you know, they live with their pigs. The pigs yeah. are in the house. The pigs sleep in their bedrooms. They're very clean animals. Um, and I thought, oh, I, I'm sorry, but I ate your cousin. <laughs> But but it, it does have to do with the fact it is really delicious and nutritious so food. Good. I know. Yes. So anyway, that um, that movie um, to our delight it, it showed up on PBS stations across the country. Oh great! That's very cool. I just love when we're curious enough about something yeah. to go find out more, and that's that's what you did. And I heard from a little birdie, meaning our shared agent Meg Ruley, that you also played the fiddle. And have Celtic jams at your place. And haven't you also played with one of my favorite authors, Stephen King's band, The Rock Bottom Remainders? Yeah, I didn't know what a violin, what role I had in a rock band. I was just so glad that everybody was so loud they drowned me out. <laughs> but no, I love I love um, Celtic music, and because I live in Maine, where I think thirty percent of the population has Irish blood. Uh, it's easy to find other other musicians and who who play you know to some to, to one degree of, of expertise to another but that's why it's fun to get together with musicians good and bad and teach each other tunes I love that right. I need to, awesome. to dig through the internet and find a recording of you playing yeah right. I'd love to see it yeah <laughs> do you have a favorite song oh here again you know it's titles that always go out of my head um uh, 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 oh, um, <laughs> you know what? I can't think of a favorite song right now. We'll, we'll, you'll remember as soon as we Pigeon go on the, the air. Pigeon on the Gate, I love. Oh, okay. Pigeon on the Gate. Okay. I have to nice. look that one up. But let's talk about your opening lines from each point of view in this novel. You talk about grabbing us and not letting us go from she used to be the golden girl to we meet by chance to something has died here. And then you add this complex pop plot and multiple POVs and a page turning plot weaving past and present. Um, we'd love for you to tell us the secret of your writing. <laughs> yes. Are you an outliner? Are you a pantser or a plotter? I wish I knew it. I wish I knew the secret. No, I'm, I'm a pantser. And, okay. and this book was weird in that it was, it ended up being very, quite complex. Um, and I, it happened without any outlining. I think I was, I was right, starting off with a contemporary story, the present day story. And then I get, I would get to a point and think, Oh, this is, this is backstory. And then I would just jump into the back, into the uh, background. Um, and it just, it just felt like there were certain points in the story where I had to go back and, and look at what had happened to Maggie. Um, because as I said, this, this, you know, the whole thing starts off with her being, very grief stricken and you don't know why there's something there's a sadness about her and um i think it, it just sort of unrolled by itself and i was led by the characters telling me uh what happened yeah that's mm -hmm. awesome yeah and um i was so glad towards the end of the book i mean i could feel us building towards something 
And I was so glad um, when that something kind of sparked. I don't yep. want to give any spoilers away, but I had the feeling that maybe Maggie won't be so lonely in the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's one of the one of the Martini Club members. I mean, there are five of them. Uh, they get together with book group and they mostly drink and rather than read the book but <laughs> one of them one of them is a is a tall um, well you know what i was imagining gabriel byrne that was i was oh uh, well nothing nice. wrong with that yeah. <laughs> well, not fall in love with that man um so that's i i just I, and he's a professor in the book he's a retired history professor so he's right. not only a cia person his cover was um academics and he truly is an yeah. academic so in many ways it's this is the man i would fall in love with um even though maggie has you know, she has a past, a love affair with somebody else. And uh, the man that, the Gabriel Byrne of your dreams, does he like whiskey too? <laughs> they all like whiskey. <laughs> they all like whiskey. They all do. They, well, they all like to drink. And um, in fact, I think a few of the spies that I do know of, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's something they seem to share a lot of. <laughs> you know, your author interview in our weekly newsletter is so is so wonderful. I read that you write your first draft by hand, and I do something similar. I um, write a chapter longhand and then type it into my computer and revise it. So do yeah. you just do the whole draft in handwriting and then go back and type in and revise? I do. I, I try to write the whole draft in, in longhand, but then I do what you do. I type it in, and I, I but I have to print it out. I have to revise on paper. Yeah, um, yeah I, me too. You know, if I revise on the screen, it never comes out very good. Yeah. And I, I don't know what it is. Um, there's something about that connection between your your brain and your hand and the paper yep. that helps me. Yeah, yep. it's 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 not an efficient way of doing it. I wish I could do first drafts on the screen. No. I I have to print too, and like I I will think that a draft is so clean, and then I print it out, and I find like eleven mistakes per page, and I'm like, what? I just why? I don't I think understand. I glaze over the screen, but on yeah. paper, it's like reading a real book. I mean, we're all we all like to have a book in our hand, and so. I think you just notice more. Yeah, and it's it's easy to um, to rewrite stuff. I think. I mean, you can do it in the margins, and you can yes. cross stuff out. It's just faster. Yeah. Yep. Good point. Okay, so I have to ask you this: a starred Kirkus review noted that there seems to be a series lurking here with these mm -hmm. old CIA agents and a small town police chief. So. I mean, is there a series in the works? Can you tell us? I mean, we know that you write about, you know, really secretive people. So who knows? <laughs> there is a second book. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm on the dreaded second draft of it now, right oh, now. Okay. Um, I got to the end of the Spy Coast and I thought, oh, you know, I really, I feel like I'm just getting into these people's lives. Oh. And I, I love the, the group of them. I mean, her, her little community. And I love writing about Maine. And the police, the police chief, which we we didn't even mention her, um, Joe Thibodeau. She's a she's a real. She represents a lot of people I know in Maine. Just really solid, multi generational people who are there to protect their their families, their their towns. They're really proud of who they are, um, but they are local and they are suspicious of outsiders. So there's that conflict of young Joe, who's only in her 30s, and Maggie, who's in her 60s. Um, not really understanding each other, people from away versus people who are local, um, an older woman versus a younger woman. And that I think that tension between them was a lot of fun to write about. I'd, I'd love to revisit that. Yeah. And I love, I felt Joe's frustration. 
Like, why won't they let me in? They're not <laughs> telling me anything. And I'm supposed to be solving, you know, a dead body shows up in her small town, which isn't normal. And and all the martini club are, you know, knit together like this. And Joe's like, try, I'm so glad we're going to hear more from her. Yeah, and plus the state police, um, she wasn't even allowed to investigate no. homicide. And I'm like, what? She has to wait <laughs> for the state cops to come in? I know. Well, you know, I'm... Yeah, I, I, I'm falling back on on Maine state law, which is local cops do not investigate homicides. <laughs> that they're all it's all always taken away from them by the state police. So that that's one of her frustrations too. I hope they let her in the martini so. club. Not to tell you what to do, but <laughs> their opening is there. I think there's there's going to be like a little bit of okay, Joe. You know, we're going to trust you, and then she starts to trust them. And not, it, it just like feels it. like a, a fun group. I like it. Well, Tess, we have a whole lot of live questions rolling in. People are really okay. engaged. They're really, they're excited to be listening to you. So I'm just going to grab a couple of quick ones. One is from our friend, Sharon Carlson person, who says a few of your books have just terrified me. Do you ever scare yourself with such dark thoughts? You know, I don't, I'm really a very happy person. So it's, uh, it's not as if I walk around with dark thoughts all the time. The only time I've scared myself was, I think there was a scene in the surgeon where something came to me that was unexpected. And the reason it's hard for us to scare ourselves is we're in control, right? It's, you can't tickle yourself either. It's very hard. <laughs> so um, I think that's why we don't scare ourselves. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Christy, I can't make myself know. cry. I feel like we have other friends who'll say like, I know that I nailed that scene when like I, I cried and I can't make myself cry. So it's always shocking to me when someone will be like, oh, I cried seven times. And I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> <laughs> We're in control, right? Yeah. 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 It makes me feel better. I was afraid I was just dead inside. So that's <laughs> <laughs> you might be Christy. I don't know. Christy, will you ask one more live question? Yes. Um, Francis Scott wants to know, Tess, do you ever miss practicing medicine? Um, I miss practicing medicine when there is a mass catastrophe. You know, when oh, something bad yeah. happens in the world, you think, why am I at my desk making stuff up when there's yeah. That, you know, somebody needs us. Um, but you know what? It's been 33 years since I was a doctor. So I would probably just be dangerous. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, and, and I, I also have to say, you can't overlook the good you do in the world by reaching people with books and engaging people in reading and presenting other viewpoints. Like that is, is a very important service too. Mm -hmm. Being a doctor is important, but I think touching people's hearts is really important too. Well, I think also there's a, there's an educational um, aspect to our books. Yep. I mean, we, yep. I, I love to teach people about things that they never yep. even thought about before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yes, absolutely. Kathy, will you grab one and then we will. Yeah. Um, somebody is asking, whether you took any writing courses in college. I took one fiction writing course in college, um, but that was it. I think the best education is to read other authors, is to yeah. just being yeah. A, yeah. A, a major reader. Um, and I know there are people that, you know, get MFAs and go um, and go to college and get degrees of that. I, I don't think that's necessary. Yeah. Um, when young people ask me, what should I study if I want to be a novelist? I, my answer is always, you know, pay attention to your own life, live your life and fall in love and, you know, get a job because that is what is going to fuel your, you know, your imagination. Did any of you guys take a writing class, a fiction class in college? Not till after. No. I, I never took a, I never took a fiction class. 
I took, took a short... few like short story writing classes in college and I was like, I am terrible at this. I will never Same. write a book. And in fact, I was like cleaning out my old closet and I had this huge mm. file of like all my old short stories. And I was like, oh my God, if anyone saw these, like I would be done. Like I would be yeah. through. No one would ever publish me again. This is horrific. So. You know, I took one short story writing class in college too, just one. And it was such a bad fit. Like it was just a professor who kind of wanted everybody to write like in a particular voice that was his voice. Do, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? And so oh, yeah. I, I think I think that doesn't serve anybody very well. I think you have you to know, be encouraged to find your own. I've talked to so many authors who took a writing course and were told that they had no talent. Yeah. And then they went on to write bestsellers. Yeah. So I think that this just seems to happen all the time. You're told, oh, you're like, you'll never make it. And then they turn around and, and, and sell books. So yeah, good point. Yeah. I mean, I took, I majored in journalism, but I never took um, the fiction writing classes. And when I was a journalist, the managing editor at my paper told me I would never be a writer because I didn't have any, a distinct voice in my writing. Oh, <laughs> crazy. And I didn't take one because, yes, I was a nurse. So I, you know, I didn't take one either. Um, I didn't get that. Did you try again? (laughs) (laughs) It keeps thinking I'm saying S-I-R-I when I'm saying T-E-S-S. We're going to move on. All right. We have one last question for you, but we want to remind all of you out there to head over to friendsandfiction.com to find out more about our podcast. And to sign up for our newsletter, you guys have got to read Tessa's interview this week. It is so interesting, and you are missing out if you don't read the Q&As. Subscribing is totally free, just like our podcast. So now, one last question. I'm afraid to say your name. It seems (laughs) to follow your own motto, which is, no matter how old we are, there are always adventures ahead for us. Can you tell us what's ahead for you and where our listeners can find you on the road or online? Well, I mean, once I get home, I'm going on to my own adventure. I always, I always go back every winter to this lovely island called Bonaire. Um, yes. Oh, and that is. I, yeah, because it's great for scuba and snorkeling. That's, that's my yearly adventure. And then after that, I just got to gotta finish this book. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but every, all, you know, every book is an adventure, isn't it, ladies? Yes, it absolutely is. Tess, this has been amazing. We have loved talking to you. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for coming. And we bow to you. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you, ladies. This was, uh, this is probably one of the most fun interviews I've ever had. Oh, nice compliment. Do you want to take us on the road? (laughs) (laughs) Have have we earned our way into like the Tess Gerritsen Martini Club? Can we be part? Yes, absolutely. We get together. It's martinis all around. (laughs) How about Bonaire? Do we get to go to Bonaire? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, Tess. You have been amazing. Good night. Thank you so much, Tess. All right. And to all of you out there, please make sure to check out the Spy Coast. And don't forget, you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We will be back next week for our Thanksgiving special. We have mystery guests that even we don't know about. We each chose a mystery guest and we're going to be surprised on air. It's such a fun episode and we can't wait. But first, we have an after show tonight. So meet us there in a couple minutes. Thank you for being with us and have a wonderful week, everyone. Oh my gosh, you guys. I had like 10,000 other questions. Kathy, are you?
Are you leaving? Yeah, I gotta go. But um, oh, I love the show. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah, all <laughs> night. Bye, Bye, Kathy. Even we say hi. <laughs> Bye. Holly, she is fun. To, I yeah. felt like we could have asked another twenty questions. To her. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear more about her music. Yeah, but now I want great. to talk about you guys. So much has been happening in the last yes. weeks. Mary Kay's gone because she's on tour, but she finished a novel while yeah. touring, while teaching. That was yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Even fathom that. I like, know. Wow. Yeah. So Kristen, what have you been up to? And what do you and I want can you tell us your mystery guest for next week? No, I'm kidding. I'm not telling you my mystery guest, no, but you were going to love my mystery guest. I just know it. Um, I'm so excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, and I cannot wait to see who you two have invited. Um, yeah, I've had a crazy, busy few days, too. I just flew in from Richmond right before the show. So, um, Patty, I only sat down about a minute before you did, so we were all kind of coming in hot on two wheels tonight. But, um, yeah, it's been great. We went to an Orlando Magic game this past week, which was super fun. That's our local NBA team. Um, that was Noah's first Magic game, and we had a great time. And I think we're going to be going back to lots more. So we're NBA fans now. Who knew? Who knew that that was something? Have you been working on your new novel? Oh yes, every single day. Yep. And I mean, it's it's coming along, but it's still a long way from being done. And after the first draft is done, man, am I going to need to do some major cleaning up? This is it's this one's this one is difficult to get on the page, but I can see it taking shape. It's just, okay. I, I need, I need to get I know to the finish line. I, what are you doing you for Thanksgiving? What? I think I will. What, what am I doing? Um, um we are going to have it here at my house. So okay. be fun. How about, how about you? Um, we are going to be here in South Carolina with about 15 family members. Oh, wow. Um, Great. I haven't, you know, just getting back. I haven't planned any of it yet, but I will. This weekend, I am in Nashville for Writers Fest. Oh, great! And then I will figure Thanksgiving out. So, cool. yeah, a lot you, of people. Chris? How about you, Chris? Yeah, yeah. So, um, we're having both families at our house, which is going to be really fun, and we're very excited. Cannot wait. Um, and um, who's yeah, your mystery I, guest? <laughs> You're telling so me that? My gosh. <laughs> Um, no, I've been, I tried really hard to not plan too many events in November and December. Yeah. And usually I say that and I do it anyway. And then I feel very stressed the whole holiday season. So I'm kind of proud of yeah. myself, but, but that being said, if there's anyone in the area, I have a signing on Saturday from 11 to one at DG's at, um, oh, in Moorhead great. city. And then on December 1st, I'm going to be, um, at the Raleigh junior league. They have like this huge, um, like, I don't know the word for it, but it's like this huge shopping extravaganza. Like a Christmas holiday thing. Yeah, it's cool. And I'm speaking at it, which will be really fun. So anyway, I'm excited. So if anyone's in the area, come see me. But um, can you believe we're here talking about this? No, it's just it go. It just goes so fast. But so how was Hawaii? I mean, I feel like you're like burying the lead here, (laughs) right? It was amazing. I got to spend ten days with my daughter and my little ones. And then a week teaching, and I don't, as you know, usually teach. That's not my. I wasn't well, just teach. Just yes. yes, we we learn from you all the time. But I doubt. Yes. It. I <laughs> really doubt it, unless you learn how to freak out from me. But other- <laughs> we do that all on our own. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I I teach the master class in that, Patty. <laughs> I teach the I teach the understudy for the freak out. <laughs> um, 
And so I co-taught with Adrian Brodeur, who we've had on the show, but it was the Kauai Writers Fest. And I have to tell you, if those of you listening are, you know, wanting to go to a writer's workshop kind of thing, I can't, couldn't even believe the talent there. I mean, they had agents and editors and um, the guy who's like the premier, the man who was the premier writer on the hero's journey, Christopher Vogler, he was there. So he, wow. It was it was amazing. And part of me wanted to go to all the classes. Yeah. But alas, I had to teach a class, not go to a class. Kathy taught a class, a master class on women's fiction. Mm-hmm. And then I taught with Adrian, and it was called Inspiration to Publication. And we went oh. all the way through and a much more. But, you know, some of our favorite guests were there. Jean Kwok and Angie Kim and Christina Baker-Klein and Paula McLean, and all of them were teaching something different. Wow. Yeah. That's that's incredible. I can't even imagine. Yeah. That that sounds really cool. Yeah. So did the students actually write when they were there? Like, did they, did they produce writing based on what was in your class? And like, did you critique it? Like, how did that all work? What was that interaction? Yes. So what we would do is teach a subject like character development. Okay. And then give an exercise and then give them like 10 minutes to work on it. And then people would volunteer to read or not. Some never read. And then after they read out loud, we didn't let the rest of the class come in. Adrian and I would chime in about. Oh, okay. um, And yes, so it was both, we would do exercises that were just for development and some that were, quote, generative for their work, like working on whatever they were working on. So each day had a subject and each day they... We had exercises. I'll tell you my favorite one, and then we'll all go eat our dinner. My favorite one was we were doing character development, and Adrian and I were trying to find an exercise. We know you and the three of us and Kathy, we talk about this all the time. You try to get to what does my character want? What does my character really, really want? So we had their character, and some were writing memoirs, so themselves, go to a psychic, and they only got to ask one question. What would that question be? And write a scene about it. And so many people said, oh my gosh, I had no idea that was the one question they would ask. And now I know what my character that really, really wants. so interesting. What a great question. That. So I was thinking myself, like, what is the one question I would ask? What What a great way to narrow down character motivation. Yes. Like to, make, character to force really yourself want? to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to have to go do that in the book. I just. Me, me too. I'm thinking age. about it right now. I know. Like, I'm thinking huh. about it too. Yeah. Like, I'm going to need that back. Yeah. And, and of course, what they want is different than what they need. So, you know. Yes. Sure. That's right. Anyways. Just like us. So that's yeah. what we did. But I got to tell you, that travel home from there, and you know you did it this year too, Kristen, that Hawaii back home is brutal. It sure is. It's so hard to adjust back. You know, I was talking to my um, my attorney the other day, my entertainment attorney who lives in LA and who had just been in Tokyo, and he said it was a 16-hour time difference, oh and he was only there, I think, for like five or six days. Um, and I, I know. And then we were on the phone the day he got back, like about something. And I was like, how are you even functioning right now? <laughs> it's like, I was Megan very and I were playing this game, like how far away in hours is such and such. And I think yeah. we figured when we were in Hawaii, the furthest time zone was Australia plus 22 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. wow. I just al- al- almost always it's the next 
day, almost 24 hours later. You know, I like, think how I saw, about Tahiti? How about I, <laughs> I saw a post from, I think it was Lisa C. I think that's who it was today. I don't even remember where she was flying, but she mentioned that wherever she had gone, she had just entirely missed. I guess it must've been yesterday. She missed Tuesday because like whatever the flight yes. was, like she went the, the direction that like went forward in time sort of. So she like literally just missed a day. And I just thought like, how strange, like, it's not like you it's lost strange. 24 hours, but you kind of did. What, what a weird experience. Time is a construct. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. Time is a construct. Strange. Good Time things. is a construct. Yeah. Yeah. And on that very, very <laughs> deep note. We're so deep, you guys. Time is a they, construct, yeah. people. <laughs> you guys are awesome. Have a good night. Y'all. Glad to see you. All right. Love you guys. See you Love next year. See you for the night. Thanksgiving special. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.